Abbey Orchard Street audio drama. Episode number two. The Hero. Part one. I was finally getting some peace and quiet. The Brits from SO15 had gone home, and the brass seemed happy with how things had worked out. I was being sent home sick after a discussion between the chief's legal advisor and the service's medical chief. It was probably a good move, but it just made me angry that it wasn't my choice. So, I went home, minus the bodyguards, to a nice quiet space. I was still in some pain, and I really did need some serious sleep. I had been injured before in the army, and getting shot, even in this milder situation, took a lot out of me. I thought about grabbing a beer from the fridge, but I thought again as I was taking some pain meds. Better not to mix and match. As I sat down, I realized how loud the silence was. After the events of the last couple days, this was the first time I was alone without people clamoring to talk to me. It was nice and unnatural at the same time. I grabbed my laptop to check up on the news, and it had been a couple days since I had read anything. I went to one of the national news websites. The headline jumped out. The British EU ambassador, distant cousin to the monarch, saved in daytime terrorist attack. The article went on to say that although there had been severe damage to the vehicle carrying the ambassador, she was okay. The article went on to say that 17 members of the public were injured, thankfully none of them seriously in the incident. Also reported was that the two initial assailants, who had been injured during the incident and arrested, were now joined by another two suspects and the whole group were being held in a South London police station and that the police had been granted an extension in order to continue the interviews. I then went to one of the UK websites, one of the more colourful ones, to see what was up. Foreign police officer gets the drop on the terrorists who had targeted the UK's top diplomat in Brussels. The article went on to say that without the unknown foreign officer intervening, the situation may have become very tragic. The report also mentioned that the foreign officer had been wounded, but had since returned home. There was also mention that sources from within the investigation promised significant charges by morning on the various suspects captured for the attack. I began to get a little nervous about this. Was my name going to be released, and would someone from the police in the UK or my service leak who the foreign officer was? Am I in danger for what I did, or worse, was I going to be singled out for whatever being a hero is? During all the years in the military, including special forces, I never had to worry about my name getting out there, out there for all the things the crew I was in got up to. We were always protected and didn't have any concerns. We were invisible. I had to think about all this. Publicity would really change my life, and not for the better. I gave Rick a quick text to see if he was available for a call. About 20 minutes later, the phone rang and Rick was on the phone. I just put out the question, was my name going to be released as the foreign officer by anyone? He paused, and he didn't know, but would talk to the chief's legal advisor and corporate communications, and would get back to me. As I hung up, there was a tap on my back door. I could tell by the knocking who it was. My partner, D.S. Lisa Grant. She walked in with a couple of coffees and what looked like paninis. My favorite. She was a good, no-nonsense person 
who was a brilliant officer who had a background in finance or something and gave it up to work with people like me. She was good with people, the paperwork, and could have a conversation with anyone. She grew up with a bunch of jock brothers and along the way got herself a well-deserved black belt in some sort of traditional Japanese style of karate. I'd only seen her in a fight once in our two years together, and it ended really, really quickly. What's up, Hiro? I gave her the look. She could tell that she'd brought up something that was on my mind. I told her that I just realized I may have put myself in a bit of a situation. Her only response? That's what happens when you go to the big leagues taking out terrorists, my friend. I didn't appreciate it, but what did I expect? She asked if I was okay and if I needed anything. I didn't, so the conversation went to a couple of cases we had on the go in court. She advised that there was a trial ongoing in the next city over that we'd both gotten involved in by spotting the suspect car just after a robbery and in an opportune moment blocked in the lone robber and made the arrest caught with the loot and with an illegal firearm. The other police service had the suspect charged with four different robberies and he had decided he wanted himself a trial despite the fact that we had him solid on the one and on tape for the other three wearing the same clothes with nice close-ups of his face during the actual robberies. Sometimes people just want to roll the dice and see what happens. The suspect would go away for a long time with his record, so I guess. Why not? Lisa had come by to tell me that we were due up in court tomorrow, and had brought my notes so I could go straight there from home. She would pick me up. After we talked for a few minutes, she mentioned her husband Fred was asking about me. He was a good dude and someone I considered a very good friend. She advised Fred was off for a couple days and if I needed something, to let him know. Lisa headed out, so I looked over my notes for the trial and turned in early. I really wasn't feeling right yet. Part 2 I woke up with a bit of a headache and an overall achiness. I popped a couple of Tylenol and got ready for court. About 8.30, Lisa showed up with the coffees, and we headed out in what turned out to be horrific traffic. As we chatted and complained about the traffic, the radio was turned on to one of those all-day news programs. All of a sudden, the announcer read out a headline, D.S. Phillips has just been named by sources as the hero of the Abbey Orchard terrorist attack in London three days ago. The report had gone on to say that the police in London had not responded to a media request for confirmation and that a request was now into the police service here for comment as well. Now, I wasn't very happy. Who is spilling the beans? I knew that at some point my name would come out, especially if there was a trial of some sort in London. Now I really had a headache. My phone rang, and before the unknown caller could finish, I am a reporter from the... I hung up. I then called Rick with the WTF. He picked up first ring. Listen, we don't know how it got out there so quick, but we're on the line with the UK, and people are scrambling around here to figure out what to do. Stay home and out of sight. That's when I got to tell him that I was due up in court for 10 a.m. for a robbery trial. He paused. Okay, go there, and we will get someone to talk to the regional crown to let them know about the situation. We made it through traffic to the courthouse and went inside to get ready for the court proceedings. We met up with Detective Inspector Holmes, that's really his name, of the local robbery and break-and-enter unit. He pulled me aside and asked what was going on. I told him the bare bones, and he nodded. We went to the crown attorney's office and found the crown on the phone having a very serious conversation. The crown waved us to a chair while she finished the talk. I wasn't trying to listen to the call, but it was totally about me. Betty Hong was a serious prosecutor. She had handled some of my cases in the past. She was always prepared and was really good at cross-examination. It was good that she was on our side. 
Well, Smith, the regional crown just had a nice chat with me. Hopefully today won't be eventful, but we will try to steer you through any messes. How are you? Are you feeling okay? I told her I was sore, but good to go. She paused and nodded. Okay, you will go first and then Lisa can go. You know what to do. If there are any issues, pause and give me a chance to get to my feet. We headed up to the courtroom where the trial was ongoing. The matter had been up for about a week and a half, and the prosecution was now into the various police officers and forensic experts involved. Lisa and I would detail the arrest, and then various other police and forensic people would walk through the evidence that came from us. The suspect was in the dock with some security around him, and defense counsel Bob Green, or the Greener as we like to call him, was at the defense table. The clerk called everyone to order, and in came her honor Judge Judy Wise. Great name for a judge. Rate of essential casting. Let's proceed, counsel. Next witness. I call Detective Sergeant Smith Phillips. The judge looked up as I made my way to the witness stand. She was giving me a really strange look, and I don't think it was over the newer suit I was wearing, which, quite frankly, popped for me. As I got settled, she looked at me and gave a very subtle nod. I got sworn in and then gave my evidence in chief. I had done this a few times, so the Crown and I, unrehearsed, laid out a very clear and concise picture of what had happened on the fateful night of the robbery. The jury loved it. After I was done with the evidence in chief, the Greener got up with real ceremony. How are you today? I am fine, sir. I understand you were shot recently and wanted to make sure you were okay to continue. I am fine. Betty Hong got up. Your Honor, if counsel could just get on with things. Yes, counselor, please continue. And carefully. The Greener was a really good lawyer, and many young or foolish police officer or prosecutor had been taken to school by him. You didn't mention any use of force used on my client during the arrest on the night in question. It was a gunpoint arrest, as our information was this was an armed robbery where the victim had been pistol whipped, and that after taking your client into custody we found a loaded 9mm pistol on the seat. He was physically taken into custody, but other than that there was no necessity for use of force with your client. Have you used force, a serious amount of force, taking a suspect or suspects into custody? Recently, like four days ago. The jury was all over this. They were totally interested. Betty got up. Objection. Where is counsel going with this, Your Honor? Counselor, where are we going? Do you have a specific question of the witness regarding the night in question? Your Honor, I just wanted to lay the groundwork for questions regarding the night in question. We aren't going there. Proceed. D.S. Phillips, have you ever been arrested? Betty got up again. Your Honor? The judge paused for a moment. Answer the question, officer. I was totally not liking this. I was arrested in London four days ago after what is now known as a terrorist incident. I was eventually released and assisted the local police with their investigation. I was not charged with any offense, and my superiors are aware of the circumstances of what happened. What happened? The judge spoke up. Don't answer that question. Move on, counselor. The greener began whining, and after a couple minutes, I and the journey were excused. I was out in the hall, and because I was midway through my evidence, I couldn't talk to anyone. I had forgotten my wallet, so I couldn't even get anything out of the machine. This day sucks. After about 30 minutes, I was called in by the clerk and returned to the witness box. The jury had already come back, and were looking at me with some interest. The greener went through a series of questions about the arrest, making some rude suggestions. After about 60 minutes, he advised the court that he had nothing further. Betty got up and advised she was finished as well. The judge then spoke up. D.S. Phillips, 
You are excused. She nodded at me as I turned to leave, and the jury followed me out of the court with their eyes. When I got outside, Lisa was giving me the, was it okay? Like giving evidence in court is ever a good time. I'm done. She began looking around, wondering if she was next. The clerk came out and called her, and off she went. Lisa had lent me $20, so I headed over to a coffee shop across the street and ended up sitting with a couple guys from our homicide squad. They tried to ask a bunch of questions, but quickly realized it was a no-go, and we just talked hockey and how badly run down the courthouse was. About 50 minutes later, Lisa found me and gave me a hard time. I don't know what went on with you, but the greener was good with me. You need to be a nicer person. And with that, she drove me home. Part 3. After getting home mid-afternoon, I decided to take a nap. Court always takes it out of you, and everything I'd been through didn't help as well. When I woke up, I found a text from Rick to give him a call. I saw another text from Lisa that Fred had left me some food on the front step and didn't want to wake me, so I needed to go and get it and put it in the fridge ASAP. Fred was some finance wizard that could cook like a cordon bleu chef. He was a great guy. So, first things first, I got the food and put it in the fridge and then phoned Rick. Listen, we talked to the Brits. Some local copper involved leaked your name to the press. We are all going to confirm that someone from our service was involved, but we're not going to confirm the name. And we're pleading silence so as not to damage the case before it goes to trial over there. And the copper has been dealt with. Now just to let you know, don't answer yet, but the UK High Commissioner wants to present you with some sort of thank you. It's not a medal. That will come later. But they're pushing hard for this in the next couple days. So don't blow a gasket. Make sure you have a suit ready to go. I wasn't happy, but Rick knew how to handle me. And I was beginning to realize that if I pushed back, it would be awkward. I said fine and told him I was coming back to work on Monday as I had a ton of stuff to do and it wasn't fair Lisa was carrying the load. He agreed and that was that. I heated up the food. It was, of course, wonderful. And then phoned my family. I'd kept them up to date somewhat by text and they knew things were a bit much, but appreciate the call. I then decided to go for a walk and maybe pick up a few things at the market. I was feeling a little self-conscious about this situation, so I donned a baseball cap like it was going to make me invisible. I went to the local market and picked up some fresh produce and some chicken. After I cashed out, I bumped into Claudette. Now, Lisa had introduced me to Claudette at some party Fred hosted for his teammates at the company where he worked a couple weeks ago. We had hit it off and had a good conversation. She seemed decent and not annoying at all. Lisa had been pushing for me to ask her out for a coffee or something, but it hadn't happened as I was off to the UK, and, well, now I was back in the middle of it. I noticed a mild, concerned look on her face, and she subtly touched my shoulder with her hand and asked, Are you okay? I thanked her and told her I was. She gave me a nice smile and suggested I call her for a coffee. I said I would, and off she went. I just know Lisa's going to know about this, like, right now. She could be so annoying. I spent a quiet weekend, went to the physiotherapist, and did some exercises. Late on Sunday, an old Warren officer friend of mine from Special Forces days phoned to ask if I was okay and whether I was going to be attending the reunion next month. I told him I was. He then said, Some reporters are asking around about you and your service. They are looking for info about any Special Forces stuff. Anyone who was approached has reached out to the team, so I can imagine you will be hearing from them. I can imagine the team's reaction. They don't like publicity and are very private about their people, current and former. Although the team's existence is known, its operations and people are a highly protected thing. It's the only way special forces units can exist. I thanked him and hung up. Part 4 I arrived at work Monday morning and began to work through the paperwork. There's a fair amount of forensic testing reports back on some of the robberies Lisa and I had been working on. 
I was still on light duties, so I couldn't go out, but I could certainly update my investigation file and see what needed to be done. I was making great headway when I looked up and saw Rick walk towards me. Lisa had arrived at some point and had left me alone. Rick waved me forward, and then when Lisa got up as well, she was waved off. I followed Rick to his office, and when I entered, he closed the door remaining outside of the office. In the corner was this very nondescript man, five foot eight but 170, slightly long hair with a very nice yet functional suit. Sergeant, he was addressing me by my military rank. I am Major Jones from the team. He presented his ID and we both sat down. You did a good thing over there. Our brothers and sisters over there have reached out and everything is good. We are pleased on the outcome. We understand that the press is on the hunt. I don't need to remind you that you're under Queen's regulations when it comes to your time with us. Anytime you go to court, a federal crown will be in attendance. Here is a card for the person who will expect a list of any future court appearances. They will deal with the prosecutors involved and make sure things are tidy. You won't have to deal with any of that. If you give evidence in the UK, we have made arrangements for that as well. Have they provided security to you? I replied, no. Haven't they done a threat assessment yet? I'm not sure. Leave that to me. He got up and offered his hand. You did a fine job over there. We would like the opportunity for you to have a conversation with the team about what happened when it is appropriate to do so. It's all about sharing experience, yes? Of course, sir. And with that, off he went. Rick saw the suit leave and gave me the what's up. My old team, once a member, always a member. He nodded. One of the things I liked about Rick was he didn't need to know everything. He just liked business taken care of. I sank back into the paperwork. Part 5 Next morning, I woke with like a dozen texts from Lisa and Rick. I flipped on the TV to all the news channels to see what was going on. There it was, picture me with my name and the caption, Hero. The news went on to say that Bruno and Frank had been charged with a number of terrorist offences with a preliminary hearing scheduled for a month's time. A number of commentators chimed in to talk about the heroic actions which potentially saved a bloodbath. Apparently, Bruno and Frank were some sort of anarchists who didn't like the EU, the UK government, or anybody really. One commentator talked about my police and military experience with a hint that I might have been a member of the team for a time. A lot of his information was very basic, and there were parts that just weren't true. What a mess. Now I was in a bad mood. With that, the knock at the door signaled the unexpected arrival of my partner. I let her in, and she, of course, blasted me for not answering my phone. After a little argument, I know she had a small cooler with her. What's that? Fred made some sort of egg thing for the hero. I would have been angry, but Fred was a serious cook, so this was one of those situations where food trumps everything else. After inhaling the food, I got ready, and the two of us headed into the office. Only a good partner would put up with someone like me. When I arrived at the office, the news only confirmed to my teammates what they had already figured out. I'm a shit magnet. With a few nods, I sat down, and I saw I had like 20 voicemail messages already. Rick waved me to follow and motioned Lisa as well. I walked into a room where I saw the detective superintendent, somebody from corporate communications, the chief's legal advisor, the inspector from the security section, Joan Arbor. A couple of people I knew were national police and two very secretive people who had to be spooks. Joan started off thanking me for my service. There were nods all around. Then she dived in. Now that this thing is out of the bag, we need to ensure you stay healthy and we keep a handle on any threats to your life. Our service isn't aware of any specific threats yet, but we are interested in our national level friends for any information they might have. Inspector Thompson of the National Police Security Service spoke up. We're hearing some online chatter, but haven't seen a specific threat emerge as of yet. She looked at me. You are pulling to the positive for sure, and we will certainly keep our eyes and ears open for anything. 
Brian from the National Intelligence Service, likely name, moved uneasily in his chair and then in a very measured way began to talk. We have been speaking to our colleagues in the UK and they believe that a couple of members of the same group as the actors in Smith's incident are resident in this country and Signals Intelligence shows that they have been activated. Immediately after the communication, they vanished and we believe they are putting themselves in a position to remove or intimidate Smith from giving evidence. Our people are out looking for him. Their immigration status is that of visitors who have overstayed, so there's an easy way of dealing with them proactively if we can find them quickly. Inspector Thompson was not happy about just hearing this. You will provide the information to ourselves and immigration so we can deal with this quickly, especially since you have no executive powers and can affect an arrest or, quite frankly, anything. Brian nodded to the affirmative. Joan and Rick immediately jumped on this. Rick looked at the spooks. Are these two a danger to Smith or not? Are they fools or real terrorists? Brian paused. One of them is keen. The other is the real deal. This is serious. I could tell that Rick was pissed off about all the silo stuff going on. Rick looked at Lisa. He's yours for the foreseeable future. Joan, could we have some assistance from you and some of your VIP sorts? She responded with a nod. With that, everyone agreed that the idea of the concerned parties would be shared with everyone involved and that my life was now over. Part 6 For a couple days I worked and then was shepherded home and had all sorts of company. Lisa was cool, but she had her own life but was as stubborn as me so stuck it out. Fred came over a bit and man, could I gain some serious weight hanging out with him all the time. Security folks came and went and I could imagine the bill in this little situation. Three days in I was sitting at my desk when Betty Hung came in with Rick. She had what looked like a very scared high school student with her. She said hi and advised I would be needed for the preliminary hearing in the UK in a couple weeks, so her articling student was going to serve me a subpoena. Apparently, her office had been designated as a liaison with the Crown Prosecution Service in the UK, and she had gotten the short end of the stick. I walked the articling student through the process. No sense dragging it out. Well, looks like a free trip to the UK. Yay for me. No one thought it was funny. Just before I left for the day, Rick pulled myself and Lisa into the office for a chat. I just got off a conference call with NIS, the National Police, and Joan. Intelligence suggests the two guys we are interested in are now considered armed and dangerous. You and Lisa are carrying 24-7, and we are upping the protection. The chief is putting some serious pressure on the feds to sort this out. I had discussed with my small family that they might want to go up north to the cottage for a bit. They all worked from home, so it was doable. I talked to Rick, and the regional police up north were eager to provide some cover, so I called my family, and they agreed to head off. One less thing to worry about. After a bit of pretending to do work, I headed home with my entourage. Fred was home, so at least the food was something to look forward to. The next morning, I was serving coffee to like four people in my house. I never really liked roommates, and this whole experience was beginning to confirm some of my life choices. Rick called. The situation is crap. If you're going to come to the office, this is the time. We might take you to a safe house later today. The feds are going nuts that something's up. Jump on your horse now. Everyone packed up. Lisa drove me in her car and there was another car behind with these two VIP types and two tack guys in plain clothes with a nasty arms cache with them. Everyone was tense. It was like being in the army deployed in a hot zone. We drove in silence when all of a sudden the tack channel burst open. Robbery 3A, turn left on the next street and keep your heads down. We made the turn and drove down a lightly trafficked street when a van coming the other way stopped 20 yards in front of us and blocked the roadway. Lisa stopped when the radio came alive. Duck! We all bent over, with the sound of screaming tires, shots rang out, distinctive sounds of stun grenades. Then there was a steady recurrence of short bursts of automatic fire. Then there was silence. 
The two TAC and two security types pulled Lisa and I out of the car and surrounded us. I looked down the road. There were three crappy-looking large SUVs with the doors open. Just ahead of them were several groups of combat green uniforms with all the gear moving cautiously towards the van, which was now showing the evidence of a very one-sided gun battle. The team presented, operated, and moved in a very distinctive manner. I also saw about a dozen plainclothes surveillance-type vehicles all over the place, with a huge number of plainclothes officers of all varieties holding back, waiting for the team to give the green light to approach and take back the scene for the police. Some government minister must have approved the use of military personnel for this little incident. It doesn't happen that often. There must be a lot more to this story than I knew. And with that, I was taken to a safe house for a couple days, not eating any of Fred's offerings. That sucked. Part 7. Rick came by with a short version of what happened. A couple of sharp-eyed uniformed officers had spotted the duo sitting in a van a couple blocks from my house the day before the takedown. They seemed to be arguing and not looking around. The officers backed off and called it in. The service was able to get a couple of our surveillance teams along with a couple National Police surveillance teams all geared up. They followed these guys back to a crappy motel and observed two other members of the group. The National Intelligence Service had been very helpful with the IDs and the whole group was put under the microscope. When the four of them left the room for about 20 minutes, the National Police had an emergency general warrant in their back pocket and one of the guys broke in and took photographs of the room contents using his cell phone. Three semi-automatic rifles, four pistols, three grenades and a pile of ammo. Apparently that was all the minister needed and the team was put on standby with authority to intervene if the chief needed them. An emergency wiretap was put on their cell phones after we scanned the area and picked up their numbers. It was clear what was going to happen. So the two that ambushed us were the pros. They moved so quick that the team had to take them. The other two were coming up from behind but were two blocks out of position. The services tack team collided with them. Literally collided with them and after using half a year's supply of tear gas dragged these, well, less proficient members of the terrorist cell into custody without any serious injuries. The other two had actually opened fire on us and the team had dealt with the situation in a very definitive way. Both suspects were deceased and fortunately no members of any service, the military and more importantly no members of the public were injured. The news had gone nuts but it was very well handled by corporate communications. I was eventually allowed to return home. An updated threat assessment was much lower and everyone, including me, felt comfortable about an almost normal approach to me living my life. I knew I'd be going to the UK in a couple of weeks, but until then I could take a breath. Lisa and Fred had moved out, which was good and bad, but it was nice to go back to a more normal-like existence. That being said, everyone seemed to be looking out for me. Every time I went out somewhere, I always seemed to have somebody wanting to come with me. I got a few free coffees and drinks, even a slice of pizza occasionally. A couple days later, I dropped by my favorite cafe to pick up a java, when I bumped into Claudette. We actually sat down and had a good conversation. Not about the obvious subjects. I liked that. 